just in case you're planning on staying for the family meeting, which I hope you will if this is your home church, we will be done by the Packer game, don't worry. <laughs> um, and I'm totally joking, it's exactly 20 minutes. We will be done in 20 minutes, so it won't go any longer than that. Hey, before I get into the message, I need to, uh, we need to do something here. First Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, here's what it says. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. So our fourth value, we've been going through our values in January. Our fourth value is contending for more of the presence of God. Um, today we're going to talk about the army of God, which we are, we are called to go out into this world and confront this world with the, the good news of the gospel and with the presence of God and God moving in signs and wonders. But right now, we are in a time of testing as the charismatic church in America. Some of the major prophetic voices in this land prophesied that Donald Trump would be reelected as, as president. Some of them, um, after January 6th, apologized for that. Some, after the inauguration on January 20th, some, some more apologized. And others, this is very disturbing to me, have not yet apologized for so clearly stating that Donald Trump, that God, thus saith the Lord, God, Donald Trump will be reelected. Um, What happens is, is when we give prophecy and then we don't apologize when it's wrong, we make the world despise prophecy. But not just the world. We make the rest of the church despise prophecy. It's very, very important that we have integrity with the prophetic. And so this, this Tuesday night uh, at 6.30 at our prayer meeting, we will have worship. And then I've got a message called Integrity and the prophetic. It's very important um, that we, we're being tested right now. What are we going to do with the fact that a lot of these prophecies were wrong? Are we going to examine them? Or are we just going to move on to the next thing? It's, what happens is, if you don't, it's not enough to just apologize then you have to look into what was in our heart that the prophecy was wrong. How did, how did we overreach? How did we get into presumption and think this was true when it wasn't true? How do you, we have to examine prophecy. We've got to be honest and, and own things. The Bible says the judgment starts in the house of God. We're praying that corruption will be revealed in the nation um, and oftentimes we don't consider that it's going to be revealed in us. And so it's very important, especially for the charismatic church, to own mistakes and, and get things cleaned up. Why? If we don't, even if we say we're sorry, if we don't take time to examine ourselves of why we were presumptuous, why we overreached with this prophecy, what, ha what will happen is we'll do it again in the future. God wants us to look in our hearts 
He wants us to become more careful. He wants us to become more humble. Why? Because, guys, God wants to pour out his spirit in these last days. This is the plan. I'm going to pour out my spirit. The old men are going to dream dreams. That's prophetic. The young men are going to see visions. That's prophetic. I'm going to pour out my spirit on my sons and my daughters, and they're going to prophesy. This is God speaking today. To, to decide we're not going to let God speak anymore because somebody might be wrong, we will quench the Holy Spirit. We will, we will stop the ministry of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't examine and repent, and get things right in our heart, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to be trusted with more. God is looking for people that he can trust with more. And I want, to be, I want us to be part of that. I want us to be part of that. And so Tuesday night, really important night for our church. 6.30 to 8, live or online. The, uh, the integrity, uh, integrity and the prophetic. All right, that's the, that's the advertisement. Um, could we stand together in honor of God's word? Here we go. We are starting a new series today in the book of Joshua. And so this is serving as both the beginning of the series and the last part of the last series, which is on the values. It is called, today's message is called City, Church, and Army. And They've got the first nine verses, but we're going to read all 19, so I'm going to read off my paper here. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You guys okay right now? I'm halfway through. Okay, stand strong. Here we go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken the possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, 
Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will fully obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Please, God, you are speaking something very important for individuals and for this body today. Would you hide me behind your cross so that we could hear and see Jesus today? Lord, come, build your church. This is yours. Build your church, Jesus, like only you can. We love you. We praise you. We'll give you all the glory for every good thing that happens here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Point one, introduction to the book of Joshua. So this is the second time they've been here. Joshua's already been here before. He was here 40 years earlier, and they are now on the edge of the promised land again. And God basically says this, um, Moses is dead, but my promises and my purposes are still very much alive. A whole generation died in the wilderness, not coming into the promises that God had. They died. Moses died, their leader. But the promises of God and the purposes of God are now being offered again. And this is another, what we call a kairos time, a time that, that, that God has set up. It's an opportunity from the Lord. Kairos just means God's timing. It, it, there's an opportunity, again, to go into the land. Now, this is history. This happened to the Israelites. But Pastor Tom, what on earth does this have to do with us today? This has everything to do with us today. The reason why this is recorded is because it is a a, a picture that God wanted to give us, future generations, of um, the promised life that we have in Christ. Egypt is a type of sin. They were delivered out of Egypt by what? Passover. The blood of the lamb got them out of Egypt, but it didn't stop at Egypt. They were not just called to go out of Egypt. They were called to come into a land flowing with milk and honey. Some people have equated Canaan land with heaven. One day it will be home in Canaan land. The Jordan will cross the Jordan, will be in heaven. Guys, heaven is not Canaan land. There are no giants in heaven. There are no walled cities in heaven. There's no need to be courageous and fight in heaven. This is about now. This is about the promised life in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, the thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly or have it overflowing. We read that as Americans and we're like, oh, he means he's going to make my life better. This is about the American dream and I can even have a better life and a more comfortable life because that's our translation of life. That's not what the word life is there. The word life there is zoe. It's the life of God. 
I have come that the, life, the very life of God would be in you. That you would be united with God's nature. That God's spirit would be in you. And that it would overflow. It would be abundant. And it, he says in John 7 that rivers of living water will flow out of your innermost being. God wants us to have flowing hearts. He wants his presence not to just be in us, but to be ministering through us everywhere to go. This is the plan of God and it's foreshadowed by this entering into the land. The first group missed it because they gave into fear and intimidation. God says to Moses five times, five times, be strong and courageous. Number one, he says it through Moses in Deuteronomy. When Moses is setting Joshua aside as the next leader, he says to Joshua, only be strong and courageous. It's God speaking through Moses to Joshua. Then, at the beginning of this chapter, three times God directly says to Moses, be strong and courageous. Three times in nine verses. Then in verse 18, uh, the Reuben, Gad, and the half, the leaders of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they say to Moses, and it, once again, it's God speaking through them, only be strong and courageous. Doesn't this seem like a, it's a little redundant? Why would you say the same thing five times? Five times. It's crazy. Why would God? Say it three times to Joshua in nine verses. Here it is. The last group didn't get in because they, were, they gave into fear and intimidation. They gave into discouragement. They became dismayed. And they didn't go in. Here's what we need to recognize. It's not a done deal that we're going to go into the fullness of what God has for us. You're going to have to be strong and courageous. You're going to have to not fear. You're going to have to not give in to discouragement. You're going to have to believe God. You're going to have to be courageous. I don't, I don't really know if I like that. I thought, you know, God would just do whatever he wants to. Nope, you were wrong. Sorry. You have a part to play. Well, well, I thought if God wanted us to be in revival and awakening, that would just happen. No, no. If we decide, There's a kairos open right now. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe right now there's an opportunity for the church in America and for this church. I believe we're called to it. It's time to go into the fullness of what God wants to pour out. It, God wants to do something great, I believe, right now. Well, if God wants to do it, he'll do it. No, that's not how it works. If Joshua doesn't go in... Then that generation dies, and then he brings in the next group, and the next leader will come, and God will say, you've got to be courageous, man. You're, you're going to have to co-work with me in this. You, are, you and I are going to have to defeat fear and intimidation and discouragement to enter into the fullness of what God has for us down here. I'm not saying you won't make it to heaven without that, but you're not going to enter the full purposes of God for your life down here. And we won't enter the full purposes that he has for City Church right now without us doing this. We must partner with God. All right, let's move on to point two. We're moving right along. The preparation of Joshua. God has been preparing Joshua for this moment. The first time we meet Joshua is in Exodus chapter 17. 
And as they are in the wilderness, they get attacked by the Amalekites. And so Joshua is the guy that's in charge of the army. And here's how the story goes. Uh, Moses is up on this hill and he's got his staff, the same staff that part of the Red Sea, and Moses lifts up this staff. And as long as that staff is up, Joshua is winning. But Moses gets tired and whenever that staff goes down, the Amalekites start winning. So Aaron and Hur come alongside Moses and they lift that staff with him. And so, jo- so, so Joshua's army is overtaking them. And so the battle can com- be complete. Um, they pray that the sun uh, will stop, which is actually having the earth stop. <laughs> and, 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 and that day the sun doesn't go down and they, and they completely beat the Amalekites. And God says this to Moses. I want you to write this down in a book. I want the whole story told. And Moses makes an altar there called Jehovah Nisi. The Lord our banner or the Lord our victory. And this is very much part of Joshua's training. Let me read to you Proverbs chapter 21 verse 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. What does that mean? That means we have a part. We get the horse ready for the battle. But we don't trust the horse. We trust God. We have a part to play. And we need to play that part. But part of our part is to trust God with the victory. I'll say it another way. So David says to Goliath, you come at me with a sword and a shield. And he doesn't say, and I come to you with five small stones. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord, my God. I'm going to use stones, but I'm not trusting my stones. I have ability to throw a slingshot, but I'm not trusting my ability. This is about God's victory. I'm, I'm partnering with God. God is using me. God's using me as I am with the skills that I have. And I need to show up for the battle and I need to get the horse ready. But I'm not trusting the horse. I'm trusting God. There is this divine union that Joshua learns right in his first battle. I can't do it without God, and God's not going to do it apart from me. Then, part of his preparation, he becomes Moses' aide, and he follows him up the mountain of Sinai. Listen to Exodus 24, 13 and 14. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God, He said to the elders, wait here for, look at this, us, until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you. Anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Oftentimes, what we think of is Moses up in, in Sinai in the cloud alone. It's just him and God. No, Joshua was there. Joshua went with him. God spoke to Moses, but Joshua was there. He went up Sinai. He he is involved. This is part of his preparation. He is experiencing the immediate presence of God. Look at Exodus 33, verse 11. 
says this, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Doesn't it sound like it's just Moses and God, and God is speaking to Moses face to face? Joshua's in the tent. I don't know if he heard the voice too. I don't know what Josh, but here's what, here's what the Bible says. Moses, after the encounter, Moses has said, I'm going back to camp. And Joshua said, I'm staying here. I'm, 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 I'm staying in that. I'm soaking in this glory. I'm soaking in this place of intimacy. Guys, Joshua is not just a warrior. He's a worshiper. He's a worshiper. And it was part of his preparation. Then he is one of the 12 spies that, that, are, that go into the land. He is from the tribe of Ephraim. So he's representing the tribe of Ephraim. That's why there were 12 spies, one for each, one for each tribe. How can he not be the leader? He's Moses' aide. He led the army. These 12 spies, uh, I mean, they're all, it seems like they're all equal, but how can, how can they not look to Joshua as the leader? So he has already experienced 10 of the spies saying, we can't do it. Him and Caleb are the only two that say, God, God, God has sent us. We can do this. And he's experienced the 10 saying, no, we can't. And, and, and the effect that that has on everybody else. And then this is the worst part of his preparation. He is wholeheartedly devoted to God for 40 years. Years in the wilderness while all of his friends are dying. All of his family is dying. And nothing is happening. They go around the same mountain 39 times. How many know this is the hardest part of preparation is when nothing is happening? It's just like, God, I just need something to happen. And he's like, are you going to serve me even if nothing happens? Yes, Lord. Are, are, you, are, you gonna, are you going to stay faithful or does this have to be exciting and amazing? And, and, and no, Lord, I'm in. I'm in. What, if, we, if nothing ever happens, I'm in because this is about you. And he passes the test 40 years. And now he's there. Moses has laid his hands on him. And God says, this is your Kairos. <laughs> I almost said, bro. God would not say that. I would say that. Um, this is your time, Joshua. It's time to be courageous. It's time to go into the land. I believe, folks, with all my heart, that God has prepared you individually and us as a church for this time. This is a very important, exciting time for the church in America. I know that things seem like a mess out there, but God is fixing to pour out his spirit, folks. This, this is a time we must be courageous as the church. We must persevere. There is a kairos time right now open. I don't know how long it's going to stay open, but... I'm ready to go in. I want us to go in. I want us to be a catalyst for other churches to go in. God has got a plan for America that is about revival and awakening. And we need to press into it right now.
Point three. We're just moving right along. The army identity. This, is, this, this can be kind of hard for us to grasp, but for Israel to take new land, they are going to have to become an army. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to own an, an identity, not just of the family of God. See, they could be the family of God and go back to the wilderness and just hang out as the family of God and God loves us and God protects us and God provides for us and we have our brothers and sisters and they can go back to the wilderness and be the family. But to, to go in, they have to become an army. They've got, they've got to go to another level. They've got to embrace army. And this is, I believe with all my heart, guys, this is one of the main things about COVID. know that the church in America has been a little soft. I mean, it just makes sense. American culture is very, very soft. American culture is about comfort and the American dream and how can I get, how can I have enough people and enough things serve me so that everything happens very quickly and everything's at my fingertips and, and I want to be comfortable now and then, oh, I want to be comfortable tomorrow too, so I need to work for tomorrow. And, and we've got, we've just become soft as a culture in America and that has affected the church. And so the church, the church has gotten very comfortable and, and self-satisfied. And, 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 and God's like, I've got huge purposes, but you, you guys don't, you're not in that identity right now. I'm going to toughen you up. I'm not saying God sent COVID. I'm saying God is using COVID to toughen us up, to, to, to break all of our whining and all of our fearing and all of our little idolatries. He's breaking us. He's breaking us, not because he's disappointed with us, but because he's training us for what he wants to do. He's making us strong through hardship. So here's the thing. Here's what the army identity involves. It's the story of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Here's the story. And then 40 years earlier, Moses... Um, these guys come, these leaders come to Moses and they say, hey, we've already got land. We've already got places on the east of the Jordan. The promised land is west of the Jordan. We've got these, we won these little skirmishes and these lands over here. There's enough for our families and pens for our sheep and houses and we're going to take our inheritance on this side. And Moses says this. He said, all right, listen I know, I know what you guys are saying. And he said, we've already haven't gone in once. And if that's the attitude you have, you're going to discourage everybody else from going into the land. And so they, the men come and they say, listen, we will fight. We will go in front of Israel and we'll fight until every tribe comes into their inheritance. And only then will we come back and enjoy our inheritance. And Moses says, if you'll do that, game on. So here's Joshua reminding them. Do you guys remember what your forefathers said, the last generation? They said they would do this. Are you guys in on this? And they're like, absolutely. We are in. We're already in our inheritance, but we're going to leave our inheritance and we're going to fight until every tribe comes into their inheritance. 
So here's what it means to be in the army of God. That it's no longer just about me, and it's no longer just about my family, and it's no longer just about my church. To be in the army, you have to say, even though you're already in your inheritance, even though you've already come to Christ, even though you've already received God's blessing and God's favor, and you know you're a beloved, and you could just rest there and just wait for heaven to come. God, I'm ready whenever we go, and I'll just, you know, play video games until you come. And just try to, you know, stay saved. I'll try to stay saved. Well, if you want to be in the army, then, then that won't work. Here's what you have to say to God. God, I will fight. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for bringing me to Christ. I am going to fight, not just for my family, but for every family. I'm not going to fight just for my denomination. I want every denomination. I'm, I'm not going to stop till every denomination has come into the fullness of what God has. I'm not just going to fight for my ethnicity. I'm fighting for every ethnicity to come into their inheritance. I'm not just fighting for Americans. I'm fighting for every nation on the face of the earth. I will do this until everybody else gets in there. I will not just sit back and enjoy mine until everybody comes. Pastor Tom, if we do that we would not really be able to rest until heaven. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. This is signing up that I'm not going to live just for my own comfort and to try to have as little trouble as possible in my life and to make my future as easy as possible that I'm, I'm just in. I'm in until everybody gets in. And I will, I will stay in this fight. Well, here's the funny thing about God's army. There's no draft. He doesn't draft anybody. He will not force anybody to embrace the army identity. But he does have a recruiter called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will invite you to sign up for this army. He will invite, invite you into this adventure and say, and say will you go? Will, will you be part of this? And you say, uh, you have to volunteer. And, and you say to the Holy Spirit, I, I couldn't do that. I'm, uh, I, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not, and I'm certainly not persevering enough. The Holy Spirit says this when he recruits you. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll be the engine behind this thing. I will be the fire. I'll be the strength. You, it, all you need to do is say yes. I will take your weak yes. And I will transform it into the power of God burning in you right until the end. This is the invitation right now. The Holy Spirit's recruiting an army. All right. Dangerous safety. January 7th was the Thursday of our fasting and prayer week. And that night was the night of the prophetic, where, where we, everybody shares what they think God might be saying in the new year. And so I wake up that morning at 3.30 a.m. It's really hard to sleep when you're fasting. It just is. So I'm up at 3.30. I'm up. I'm not going back to sleep. Put the coffee on. Go down and have my quiet time. Having my quiet time, and the Lord speaks to me. He gives me two words. Here's the two words. Dangerous safety. Hmm, sounds like an oxymoron. Dangerous safety. Lord, what is that? 
And then one sentence, I'm going to read you the sentence. You will only be safe from deception if you live your Christian life at risk. I'm going to read, I'm going to read that sentence again. You will only be safe from deception if you live your Christian life at risk. Now, one of the ways we examine the prophetic is it has to line up with Scripture. I'm a stickler for this. And immediately, a verse comes to me, Mark 8, 35, and I'm going to read that to you. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So the safest place as a Christian is to stop trying to be safe. (laughs) To, instead of trying to save your life, try to lose your life for Jesus' sake and the Gospels, and and then you will find your life. You will find this place in God that is very safe. It's kind of an oxymoron. Think about the children of Israel. Okay? They're called to go in to this land, and there are giants there, there are armies there, there are these walled cities there. Clearly, this is dangerous. And it seems like the safe thing would be to go back to the wilderness. But guess what happened to the people in the wilderness? They all died. Turns out, going back was not safe. That was actually really dangerous. That the safest place is to go forward. The safest place is to be on offense. So how practically do we live our life, our Christian lives at risk? So let's talk. Now I've got four things. We're almost done. Number one, worship at risk. What does that mean? Be wholehearted in your worship. Be all in and worship. Pastor, now I don't like these people dancing in front I got news for you. They're not dancing for you. They're dancing for God. Do you know that that's why the lights get turned down? Worship is not a time when you find out who's at church. And it's not a time for you to evaluate how you look while you worship. Guys, this is about Jesus. This is about the living God who has saved us out of sin and adopted us as his favorite sons and daughters. When it's worship... We need to be at risk. We need to get out of our boxes and we need to just tell God, I'm going to be wholehearted. I am going to be wholehearted. And my pastor Tom, I'm not a good singer. I didn't say it. It's not about singing. It's about worship. If you've got to turn the CD on louder so that it covers over your bad voice, do it. That's one reason why the, the music is so loud here so that you're not all worried about how you sound. Worship. God is calling us to worship at risk. So worship as if no one else is watching you. What does it mean to live the Christian life at, at risk? Second, in your love. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. If you love the people that love you, you're doing exactly what non-Christians do. The proof of your Christianity is loving your enemies. Love at risk. Forgive people who have hurt you. Forgive people who have abused you. Forgive people who are against you. Forgive people who are your enemies. Love them. Do good towards them. What about justice? What about getting back at them? Well, God says he will judge. You're not the judge. You didn't die for anybody. Jesus did. He's the judge, not you. Let go of it. That's risky love. 
risky love. Whenever you, whenever you get into the anger and the grudge thing, all you do is empower darkness and it just keeps getting worse and worse. You bomb them, they bomb you, you bomb them and it just gets worse and the divide gets bigger. Somebody has to break it and it's not going to be the other person. Don't wait for the other person to break it. Start loving them. What do you want? You love them. What do you want? You're nice to them. What do you want? Nothing. Jesus loves me and I love you. End of story. Witness at risk. We are his witnesses, unashamed of the gospel. So I don't know if you've ever heard about the chicken line. It's called the chicken line. When I describe it, you will, you will recognize it. The chicken line is when you are talking to somebody and they're talking about their problems or they're talking about their depression or they're talking about their physical ailments um, or, or they're talking about uh, church or they're talk- and, and the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, I want you to pray for them or I want you to talk to them about me. Or, I want you to mention me. I want you... And, and all of a sudden, there's a little line called the chicken line. And for you to do what God wants you to do, you're going to have to cross the chicken line. And if you cross that line, people are going to think, they're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to think I'm one of these religious nuts. They're going to, what are they going to think about me? What, people don't pray in public. What are they going to, and so oftentimes we don't cross the chicken line, but, we, but we, we, we cover our tracks. Here's how we do it. Well, I'll be praying for you. We're not doing it. I'm not going to do anything right now, but I'll, I'll be praying for you. And somehow that's supposed to be this witness to them that you are connected to God. And, and God's calling us to cross the chicken line in our witness. So let me tell you a story. This happened Thursday. I'm in the hot tub at, at uh, the Princeton Club. And I've swam my laps. I'm trying to do better for physical this year. And so I've, I've swam my laps. I'm just going to relax. And, and there's, there's, there's four people in there. And the guy that across from me, is a, he's, he's older than me. He's a retired, very dignified-looking man. And um, I strike up a conversation. How often do you come to the Princeton Club? And he, he, he tells me, he says, I only do it during the winter. He said, during the summer, I play, I play tennis and, 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 uh, and pickleball. And I, so I'm, I'm into pickleball. I tell him, we talk about pickleball for a while. And he says, he just mentions that his wife used to play with him. And she actually loved pickleball more than he did until she got dementia. And then he just keeps talking. And we're just talking about stuff. And I, and I said, sir, would it, be, would it be all right if I asked you about your wife's dementia? And how long that, how did that happen? And how long? And, and so he, he tells the whole story. Started mild, but it's getting worse. And now they have to have care at home from time to time. And, and his whole life has been around this dementia that his wife has. And I'm like, I just, I just feel so sorry that, that you're having to bear this cross. This is, everybody's got a cross, but this is a very, very difficult cross. And I said to him, um, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Do you think that you have come closer to God or farther away from God because of your wife's dementia? 
And he smiled. He said, that is a really good question. He said, honestly, I wouldn't go to church anymore except for her. I only go for her. And he, he talks about his disappointment with the church and da-da-da-da-da and wounds. And, 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 but it's not just the church. It's God. And I say, sir, listen, it's, it's, it's really not about religion. It's about, it's about Jesus. It's about God loving you. God loves you, and God is with you, and God knows the cross that you are bearing, and he wants to help you with it. He wants to help you with it every day. And then we come up to the chicken line. And I ask the question, because there's two other people that are in the hot tub right here. This is, we're way out of bounds for him talking about this. And I said, sir, would you mind if I had a prayer for you right now? And he says, go ahead. And guys, I just, I'll never get used to this. He closes his eyes in his hot tub. And he just, he's just open. And I did not put a hand on him because of social distancing. I want you to know that. <laughs> Don't let anybody say that I touched him. I didn't. But I did extend a hand. And I just got to pray for the love of God and the presence of God to rush into the void and to the hurt and to the pain and to lift this heavy burden and to help him and to help his wife with the dementia and to help him bear this cross and go through this difficulty. So the, the whole prayer was maybe 60 seconds. And, I, and I, I looked at him after the prayer and I said, sir, I just want you to know how honored I am that you let me into your life. And he said, I can't tell you how much it helps to talk about it. Guys, these people are all around us. There are people that are carrying crosses all around us and they're carrying them alone and they feel isolated from God. They feel isolated. They don't know what's going on. And all it really takes is somebody just asking a few questions, listening a little, loving them a little, and then crossing the chicken line. Because why? Because God wants to touch people. God wants to help people. God, we are the keys that are going to open up hearts to the kingdom of God. All right, final. Um, dangerous safety. Living a, a, a risky Christian life in our giving. Giving in the face of an economic downturn. I'm now going to tell you a miracle that happened a couple weeks ago. This, this miracle, I've gotten permission from everybody to share it. This is now part of City Church's story, but there, I have to tell the story. So it starts, um, you need to know who Pastor Sam Chum is. Pastor Sam, he's from Ghana, Africa. He preached here in 
uh, November really lit the place up. He was just amazing. I went over there to his church, uh, African church, and spoke there in December. And uh, there, there's just such a, a kindred spirit. I asked him to speak at our conference next summer, Intimacy with God. He's bringing his whole church for the whole conference. And we're, 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 we're partnering together. Um, but we are part of something called ICS, Impact Christian Schools. And it is a school system that wants to start new voucher schools. And we will not start new schools apart from a church and a pastor because these are to be Christian schools. And Pastor Sam has agreed to be, uh, he, he's, he, he's in this huge um, office complex. Three churches meet there, several businesses lease there, and that's the building that he is in. And um, ICS has partnered with Pastor Sam, and he wants to start this Christian school on the south side, right in the middle of the most needy place in the city. And so, so we're, we are currently raising money for that. So here's what happened a couple weeks ago. We're in staff meeting. And we've got the, the pastoral staff together. And I said, guys, um, We, we, we did not know December's numbers for offerings, which you will hear at the family meeting because December, what happened in December is amazing. September, October, and November. Giving had been close to normal until September and then three months in a row, down, down, down. And so we're feeling the, the, the stress of that. And, but I'm, I'm just filled with this dangerous safety thing. And, and I said to the staff, I said, I'm going to suggest this to the board on Saturday, but I want you guys to be part of this. I really believe we're supposed to give a $25,000 gift now to Impact Christian Schools. Impact Christian Schools has got these funds that will match it. It, it multiplies our gift if we give it through them, and the, they buy it first. I'll tell more about that later. But um, I really think we're supposed to do this now. But not only that, I had been in a prayer time where pastors got off into twos and prayed. And I said, Pastor Sam, what are your prayers for this year? And he said, I, I, I want, we want to own a building for the church. And he said, I want, I want to bring um, two of my kids back from, from Ghana. And uh, he has got three children in Ghana and two here. Two were born here and are with him. But there are three there. One of them is college age, and two are out of high school, but they're not in college. And, uh, and I said, Pastor, Pastor Sam, what would, it, what would it cost to bring those two kids here? And uh, he said it would cost $10,000. Now, I happen to know the story from my relationship with him of what happened three years ago. They tried to bring the youngest daughter over um, three years ago, and... Um, she, to, to get here, you have to have an American passport, you have to have a visa, you've got to have tons of cash, or you can't even get into America without proving that you have assets. And so they, they saved up, they got all this in place. She went to the airport, she's in line. Pastor Sam and his wife Joanna have flown to New York. There's a party ready to welcome her and establish her in the United States. And she calls from the airport and says, uh, I've been robbed. The, the passport's gone, all the cash is gone, everything's gone. So she never got here. 
They FaceTime with these girls every single day. And I said to our staff, we've got the money and savings. I, I think we should bring these kids home. We can do it. If these were your kids, you'd bring them home. And the staff rightly said, you know, is this the right time? We, we, we try to be fiscally conservative. Giving is down. Is this the right time? And, and, and I said, you know what, guys? I believe with all my heart that we need, and of course, I'm filled with this dangerous safety thing. We need to give in the face of our need. We are asking our people to give in the face of their needs. I think we need to do it now. And we went around, the whole staff is like, let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do something crazy in the face of our downturn. Let's do something. And then we got talking about the carpet. And I said, I said, guys, you know what else I think we should do? Because we have the money and savings. I think we should replace this carpet. This carpet, I, I did a little internet stuff. This is commercial carpet. If it's really well kept, it should last 15 years. Do you know how long we've had this carpet? 28 years. There are stains on this carpet. We can't get up anywhere. They're under the pews. They're up in the balcony. They're all over the place. I know where they are. You don't. And, um, but here's the thing. I'm like, guys, the, changing the carpet has nothing to do with me. I'm the family. The reason why I clean my house when guests are coming over is to honor them. I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning for the guests. If it's just us, I don't care what the house looks like. But when we're having somebody over, I get it better. This isn't, this isn't about my identity. This is about God's bringing people here. So we talk about it, and it's really expensive to get the good carpet we have downstairs where stains can just be taken right off. It's like 72000 to put carpet everywhere. But th then there's another problem. The pews. If you're going to change the carpet, you should really, it, this should be the time to change the pews. And, but we looked at this theater seating and it's really expensive because you have to have a certain tilt in it. And, and, and the, the theater seating is 250000 So now we're up to 320000 and, and 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 Chris, our financial guy, is saying we really should hire the architect first because we're planning an expansion later. And, and the architect should tell us what to do. And, and and uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. And that's 20000 to get the architect. And, and, and so we, we, we get done with the meeting. And um, I'm just like, I really think we should. We've got it in savings. I think we should do this. And uh, next morning I get up. I come here. And there's an email from Chris. And he says, uh, I'm really troubled about this. And I just email him back. I say, bro, be at peace. Uh, we'll meet with Don next week. Chris was on vacation. And I said, we'll meet with Don next week. We'll talk about it. I, I, I don't have any huge agenda with this. And I go in to talk to Don. And I said, Don, I said, we'll talk next week. But I just want to make it clear to you, Don, I don't need, I don't need new car. I, if we have this carpet and these pews until Jesus comes back, I'm fine with that. Uh, there's no entitlement here. There's no ego in this. What, whatever, whatever God wants. And, and if, if giving isn't up, because we, we won't do it until June, if giving isn't right, we just won't, we won't do it. I don't, I don't care. But we'll talk with Chris next week. So I leave that office after saying those words to a luncheon. It's been set up for weeks. And we, it's a precious couple from our church, and we have a little ministry time. And then the husband says, let me tell you why we're here. So we, we sold a business a couple of years ago, and we put the tithe in this charitable trust. And we want to do something big for the church, 
Are there any needs? Are there any specific needs right now? And he's like, think big. And I'm like, and honestly, if it had been a week earlier, I wouldn't know any numbers. I wouldn't know anything. But I'm like, well, we do need $325,000 to do the, the pews and the, the, the theater seating and the, and the carpet. And, and, and I told him about our SAP meeting and that we need to hire an architect because we want to do the expansion. He said, tell me about the expansion. And I told him all about that, which I'll tell you about in the family meeting. But he says, uh, he says we want to we do that right now. You're going to get a check in the mail next week. I'm, we, we want to do that right now. We want, we want to do everything you've said, and we want to give 20000 for the architect, and once the architect tells us what the expansion is, we want to meet with you again and find out what else we can do. And I'm like, to this couple, I'm like, you know, guys, why don't you guys take the weekend and pray about it? You are in my presence right now. This is, uh, you might feel, and, and they look at each other like, he says, do we have to? We've already prayed. We want to. They've got tears in their eyes now. We, you don't understand, Pastor. We want to. He said, we should have done this a while ago. I said, bro, this is the exact time this needed to happen. This is a kairos. This is now part of the city church story. Would you mind standing to your feet? So would you mind closing your eyes because I don't want anybody to look around for this part. If the Holy Spirit is recruiting you today and you want to be part of the army and you want to just say to him, I'm in. If you'll do all the, the work and you'll give me the strength and you'll put the fire in there, I, 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 I'm a weak human being, but I want to be part of not just the family of God. I, wanna, I want to be part of the army of God. I want you to just open your arms before the Lord right now. I'm going to pray for you. You guys can't see this, but I can. You guys, almost every single person in here has their arms open. I just, this touches God at such a deep level, guys. Lord, here we are in our weakness, knowing ourselves, knowing our sins, knowing our brokenness, yet here we are saying, Jesus, we want to be all in. We don't want to live just for ourselves, just for our comfort, just for our own little world. We want to answer the call in this hour to be part of your army. Father, in Jesus' name, would you seal this right now in my heart? You have recruited me, and I'm in. In Jesus' name.